This uh, reading is from the ninth chapter of the Epistle to the Hebrews. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which the lamp stand and the table uh, and the table and the bread of presence. Excuse me, in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. But into the second section, but into the second, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places were not yet opened as long as the first section was still standing which is symbolic of the, uh, uh, for, the, for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot uh, perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of Reformation. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have, that have come, even though the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the, pur for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from the dead works, from dead works to serve the living God? Therefore, he is the mediator of the new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant uh, was inaugurated without blood." For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and sacred, excuse me, and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood, both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than, than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are the copies of true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters uh, the holy places every year with blood not, show, not, not his own. <clears throat> For then he would have, have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. 
But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Well, good morning again. We continue our Hold Fast sermon series through Hebrews, taking large chunks of uh, whole chapters even of the book uh, itself to be able to look at um, what it means to follow Christ when there is so much cultural pressure against us. When it looks like we may have to turn back to old ways or to former ways of living, we are able to hold fast uh, to Christ as the sure and steadfast anchor of our hope, or of our soul, that gives us hope in times like these and reminds us of the work that He has done, the better work. These other things were good. The main theme of Ephesians or of Hebrews, excuse me, um, uh, that these other things were good, but what Christ has done is better. It is college football season again. Maybe you. Watched quite a bit of it yesterday. Maybe you rearrange your whole schedule. I don't know. Do we have massive sports ball fans here? No, great. Okay, this whole sermon is going to go over really well. So I don't do sports analogies very much, but we got a sermon full of them. So uh, I have a working theory on sports teams. Um, they are our uh, new local gods that we have. We all pledge allegiance to them one way or another. Um, we all, um, you know, at uh, some level or another, we know what's going on with either our college teams that we, you know, where we went, our local uh, professional teams. It is uh, somewhat of a, a standard of where we live, us as the Grappen Gators, that it, there would be a professional sports team available there for us to be able to cheer on or at least go and watch, particularly baseball. And so we went to baseball games this week. We didn't go to the Rockies games, though they were playing. We went to the Braves games um, because when we were in Atlanta, we lived about 20 minutes. And so we wanted to, uh, from the from Turner Field. And so we um, have loved the Braves, uh, root them on. Um, they're not the Cubs for me, but Stacy loves the Braves uh, growing up on them. Um, and uh, I during one of the uh, uh, innings on Monday, um, maybe you, you saw this, but I, I'd gotten up and left and was like, came back out of the restroom there was a big hubbubaloo going on on the field and all the fans there's some cheering and things going on and I thought it was we were in between innings and we we were but when I walked up I saw these two fans getting carried off the field from hugging Ronald Acuna Jr. He was on set on on pace to break some some great records through steals and home runs and all of that. And he came very close, or he tied the record that day. And the fans just wanted to get out and hug him. They weren't attacking him. One ran up. He was holding on to him. The other guy ran up and kind of knocked him over accidentally. But they just wanted to love him and show their devotion to him. 
And they were carrying him off the field, one of them, and he was like a toddler screaming and kind of scrapping with security to try to get back to a community, as if this is like the level of affection that Ronald needs in his life. Here's the deal. He has a lifetime ban from the venue, maybe facing jail time, criminal trespassing, possibly a fine, maybe spend a night in jail, depending on what other things were in his system. So much of what he wanted to do to express his devotion and, dare I say, worship of Ronald Acuna Jr. actually resulted in the opposite. He will never be able to come back and cheer for his beloved star again. Fan is short for fanatic for a reason. This is worship. This is modern day worship and what it looks like. David Foster Wallace said, everyone worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. What we worship matters and how we worship matters. And I think the question this uh, uh, passage brings to us is what is the goal of worship? The goal of worship is union and or, and or communion with the thing that we worship, whether that be God, whether that be a hug to Ronald Acuna Jr. Whatever it is, we want to be united to the thing that we worship. Everything is asking you to worship it. Everything wants you to give your time, your money, and your power to it and to use these things in service of these things. But what does true worship look like? Is there worship that gives life? I think this passage walks through three things. It walks through the insufficiency of our worship. It walks through the sufficiency of Christ's worship and that worship which results in our salvation. The insufficiency of our worship, the sufficiency of Christ's worship and our salvation. The insufficiency of our worship. The author begins in this opening section, verses 1 through 10, by showing us what's behind the curtain in the tabernacle. Both curtains, actually. Most people had never seen this. They've only heard of the shadow of things. And even in as the writer of Hebrews was writing, these things wouldn't have existed. There would have been the temple, and that soon was to be destroyed as well. We see in the holy place, that first section, that the priests enter to, to do their, their business, their, their worship their sacrifices on a regular basis. There's the bread of presence. There were lampstands, and there was um, a table there to be able to offer um, sacrifices. And then you set behind the next curtain, you see the most holy place. The thought, the place where God's earthly dwelling was with his people in this place. God came and was dwelt, uh, dwelt in the most holy place. There was a staff of Aaron that budded as God chose him to be uh, the line of priests. There was the urn that held the manna that uh, allowed the Israelites to survive during their exile years. There was incense that they would offer to God. There was the Ark of the Covenant that held the, the, the tablets, the Ten Commandments of the covenant itself and the cherubim. And all of this dwelt draped with gold, much more elaborate than we have uh, in our, our setup here. And yet the author says, even these places, these glorious places that were set forth, that God said, let's do this together, had limitations to them. The high priest only entered once a year 
to offer sacrifices for the people in the most high place, most holy place, but he too had to wash and offer his own sacrifices. Then and only then he could offer the sacrifice for the unintentional sins of the people. And yet this was insufficient. He had to do it over and over again on a yearly basis, but it couldn't do what it was designed to do. Verses 9 and 10 says that it could not perfect the consciousness or the conscience of the worshiper, but it only dwelt with various outward performances. This worship was insufficient. This worship fell short. There's two different types of worship that we typically uh, experience uh, throughout our lives. There's the religious worship, in which we do all the right things, we make our lives look good, we perform all the rights, but it becomes a performance. It becomes an outward garment that we put on, and it becomes a manipulation that we have with God. God, I did all of these things. Now, help me avoid suffering. Help me avoid heartache in this life. But nothing works this way. We can never perform Enough, and neither does our worship of God. This only results in self righteousness and the judgment of others. We see this throughout the New Testament. The Pharisees uh, were known, well known, for their self righteousness and judgment of others. Uh, I love the story in John 9 when Jesus heals a blind man on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees are going, like, Whoa, 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 you healed him on the wrong day. So let's talk about that for a minute. And you were born with sin. How could this, how did this all go about? There's this whole chapter. They're just going back and forth. They go and talk to his parents. They go back and talk to the man. They go interview Jesus. Then they go back and talk to the parents again. And then they go, and there's this whole thing going on because Jesus healed a man on the wrong day. The Pharisees could not believe that Jesus healed him because he didn't conform to their religious performance ideals. This was a day you didn't do anything. It was sacred unto God, and yet Jesus constantly challenges them. Is are what we are doing actually glorifying God in this moment when we don't take opportunity to heal? Modern church often fails, falls, fails, and falls into this performance-based worship and has quite a few pharisaical results with it. We also have secular options of worship, as I mentioned before, sports. Um, I have this running theory, again, that all these local gods that we have are our sports teams. They're set in arenas, kind of look like coliseums. Um, they're kind of a big deal. Thousands, tens of thousands of people go to them. Uh, I had a, a run-in with um, some, some colleagues, we'll call them, uh, who work in the same building as I do. Uh, I was wearing a Wisconsin shirt. It uh, said Wisbratson, because Wisconsin people eat bratwurst a lot. And I had a Denver hat on, a Denver Trouts hat, which is a fly fishing hat. It has like an old D logo, classic of the Denver Broncos. But instead of the Bronco in the middle of the D, it had a trout outline. And this one guy caught me and was like, hey, What's with your hat? I don't like it. Like, that was the lead-in statement that he had for me. I don't like your hat. And I was like, he's like, what is it? I was like, well, it's a fly fishing hat. And uh, he's like, I don't think the Broncos deserve that. I mean, they're not playing very well, but I don't think they deserve to have a trout in their spot instead of a Bronco. And uh, I was like, well, it's like, uh, I feel like it's more of an homage hat and all this. And he's are you even a Broncos fan? 
And I was like, I mean, I like the Broncos. They're fine. Like, what are you, a Dallas Cowboys fan? I'm like, what are we doing? Like, what's with the Inquisition here, man? Um, no, I am definitely not a Dallas Cowboys fan. Well, what, who, what kind of fan are you? I said, well, I'm a, actually kind of a Packers fan because my wife's from Wisconsin and like the Bears sucked when I lived in Chicago and I grew up in Oklahoma, so there's no real team there. Most people do are Dallas fans at that point. Um, but and then this other guy chimed in and he's like, you can't be a Cubs fan and a Packers fan. And I'm like, what is going on? We literally want to murder each other. I'm like, this is like, okay, I'm, both of you guys are in professional ministry. I don't understand why this inquisition is going on here. But again, like and the, the line that came to mind was when Paul is in, in Ephesus and he is uh, talking to the Ephesians. And they and he's proclaiming Christ and his resurrection from the dead, and the Ephesians, the the the, the um, whatever it's called, the outdoor amphitheater thing that he's in. They they uproar and they begin to shout, "Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Great is Artemis of the Ephesians!" It causes an absolute riot, and Paul has to leave and fear for his life. But we watch sports. I love sports. I watch. I love watching sports. But they are. They can be an emotional roller coaster for us if we worship them. If they are our allegiance in this life, you know, we do this with jobs. Also, we do this with material things. We do this by looking in the mirror. Sometimes we worship our family, our kids. Sometimes we even worship the approval of others or the power that we have. Scripture call these, calls these things idols. They can be very good things. Sports can be very good. It can lift us out of a funk that's going on in our life. It can remind us of just fun and excitement and these people using their bodies and, um, in just glorious ways to do pretty incredible things. But when these good things are turned into ultimate things in our lives, they become idols, and they are just as dangerous as all the other idols in our lives. They co-opt our allegiances, and they too feed our own self-righteousness and help us judge others. The problem with idols lies with the fact that they ask for our lives, but they cannot give us life in return. Their love is conditional. The team loses. The marriage ends. Our kids don't turn out the way we wanted them to. When things are idols, they ask for our unending loyalty, no matter what goes on. They can give nothing lasting in return. Sometimes we need our idols kicked over so that we can direct our affections elsewhere. We need something enduring. We need something transcendent. We need something eternal. That's where Christ's worship comes in. That first verse there in uh, 11 is just this massive transition. But when Christ... I just want to sit there for a moment. This worship has been offered for millennia at this point in the tabernacle or in the temple. And yet, but when Christ. This is a a construction that is used throughout Scripture. This but God happens in both negative and positive terms. 
My favorite is Ephesians 2.4. And Paul writes, among whom, he's talking about us and about non-Christians, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. There is no hope for us in this moment. He says, but God. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. But God, when things seem to be going to pot, but God, when it's all hitting the fan, but God. And now we have but when Christ, and the verb there is appeared. He showed up. He came to be with us. And then he entered the greater and the more perfect tent, the heavenly throne room of God where God dwells fully. He entered there once for all. There was a finality to it. There wasn't a a continual offering of sacrifices that needed to happen. There wasn't a continual shedding of animal blood, but he brought his own blood. He offered himself to God. And it's this sacrifice that was able to do not what the others could do and purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Through his sacrifice, Jesus provides the union and communion with the living God, the one, the, 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 the unity that our hearts and souls most deeply desire. He is the one who is able to unite us to the one who gives life in return. This is God's covenant to his people. The author goes on to illustrate this. Uh, both covenant and will are the same word that's used. So he's, he's illustrating that the covenant is fulfilled through the death. And by that, we are able to receive the inheritance that God gives to us, union with him. This happens through uh, Christ and in his unending loyalty, loyalty to us. This sacrifice fulfills the covenant, the legal binding Uh, commitment that God has to his people. That which was contained in the Ark of the Covenant himself, this is the fulfillment of that and is founded on Christ's sacrifice rather than the imperfect ones, the temporal ones that the priests offered. It kind of begs the question to me, what's the deal with sacrifices? Did bloodshed really need to take place? Does God lust for blood and so he needs these sacrifices to take place? That line there at the end, uh, uh, 20 verse 22, uh, indeed the law and under the law almost everything is purified with blood and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins. Does God need blood? Well, all worship requires sacrifice. No matter what we do, whether we're sacrificing our time and money to go watch a sports team, whether we're sacrificing our time and money to make sure our kids have the sports that they can be involved in, whether we're sacrificing our time and money to make something work in our lives for our jobs, for our marriage, for our relationships, all of these things take sacrifice. 
The thing is, with God, He gives us life in return. This is mainly, basically a statement that all forgiveness is costly. If we break a lamp, someone has to pay for the lamp to be replaced, for it to be forgiven, for it to be made right. And what we see here is that God pays the cost Himself. He sends His Son to bear our sins, to be the sacrifice so that we can be united to Him. Annie Crouch says there's something about sacrifice that unlocks what this world needs. And so our role, our response, is trust, it's faith in Christ's sacrifice being the perfect worship, trusting that God will show up in our lives, but when Christ. He won't do it our ways. He won't do it in the same way that we think he's going to. But he's going to do it in his way, often a more, sometimes a more subtle way, sometimes a more glorious way in, in what we need. I uh, have a new uh, coach for church planting, just kind of a guy that kind of reminds you of things that need to be paid attention to, what are you doing, building systems and things like that. And one of the things that was helpful um, on this coaching call this week was how he reminded me that when I get into the mindset of all the things that I need to be doing and how I'm not going to get any of them done in a perfect way, in a way that I think needs to be done, that God is the one doing the work and that I need to trust in him and that as he calls people to himself, as he um, breathes life into them, as he uh, gives curiosity into their hearts, as they begin to see and hear, hopefully to taste and see that he is good, that he is doing all the more imaginable than what I am doing. Trusting in Christ's sacrifice. This results in our salvation. This last section, verses 23 through 28, says that Jesus entered into the presence of God in heaven. Not the copy of those things in the tabernacle, but he appears before God on our behalf. He's our advocate, as I uh, talked about a couple weeks ago. He represents us to God, knowing that we too once um, finally will be united to him as well. He's not continually offering sacrifices. He has put an end to the sacrifice, bearing the sins of many, and will return, not to deal with sin, he's done that already, but to save those who wait on him. This theme of endurance, this theme of patiently waiting, the author of Hebrews is trying to drive home uh, to his readers, to his listeners, and to us as well. There's a biblical and theological concept uh, that runs throughout Scripture. It's not one of the obvious ones, but it is there and is incredibly helpful uh, to read, especially as we read uh, the, um, either the prophets in the Old Testament or uh, the New Testament letters. And it's this, the theme of already and not yet. God has already saved us. And yet we are waiting for our salvation. We have been justified with Christ and have right standing before God. And yet we still, there is still a judgment day to come. 
We are still waiting for our salvation to be worked out so that we are transformed into the likeness, the, the holiness um, of Christ and what he offers for us. There's two things here. Our salvation is already as Kenan talked about a little bit last week, we have freedom from sin. Sin is that which separates us from God. It's originally a, a unit of measurement to know how far off the target you are, and it's this separation. And sin has two aspects to it. It's either a power, it's both a power and it's acts. So it's this power that reigns over us, that holds our consciences... Um, what's the word? Hostage. There we go. Uh, holds our consciences hostage so that we choose sin. And so then we do these things that continue to separate us from God as well. There's these sins that separate us from Him, but Christ makes a way for us to be in the presence of God. And yet we wait. However, as we wait, we see the already continuing to take place. In Romans 8, 11, Paul writes this, If the spear of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. The unity is not us being in the presence of God. It's God being in us. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Not only do you have a way to be in the presence of God, but God is present in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. No longer do you have to be under the power of sin, but the Holy Spirit begins to work His fruit in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And yet, our salvation is not yet. We are waiting we are longing, we are hoping, we are praying, we are, wait, we are waiting on Him. This creates a purpose, this gives us a goal, this is a final destination to our worship so that we may know that no matter what we face in this life, no matter what hardship is in front of us, seemingly impossible to surmount, we have purpose to it as God uh, brings about his salvation in our waiting. Again, Paul writes in Philippians 1.21, as he's wrestling with his own imprisonment and whether he would prefer to die or to stay on living, he writes this, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. His salvation in Christ reframes his whole life to be the worship of Christ and to give purpose to all that he experiences in his life, joy and sorrow, celebration and suffering. In our waiting, we are called to worship in the same way that Jesus did, sacrificially. We can sacrifice in three basic but extremely valuable things to us, our money, our time, our power. We give these things away in service of Christ, not to be abused by others, caveat, not so that people can take advantage of us in abusive ways, but to bring life and care and love for them as we have been loved by Christ. And just a reminder, 
Jesus is extremely honest, as Jeff mentioned, our confessio, to speak with, that we are sinful, that we are messed up, to speak that in our lives and in others' lives, but we are also more loved than we ever dared imagine. What can sacrifice look like, um, actually? Oh, well. It can look like um, holding your child's vomit in your hand, <laughs> giving up your ideals of what um, parenthood is going to look like, and um, that is a sermon illustration. I'm using it right now. So, <laughs> I think hospitality is one of those practices that um, contain all three areas. When we sit down to a meal with someone else, we are giving of our time and our money and our power, our safety, our concern uh, for them is foremost in it. Um, It's not that they deserve this time with us, but we are doing it out of the gracious love that we have received in Christ. To sit down with someone at a table, at a meal, is to practice sacrifice. It mediates time in our relationship with one another. It costs money and time to be able to do that. It may cost uh, some pride that we have in our own lives as well. To be hospitable with one another is an everyday sacrifice that we can make. Our fandom is not contained only to when we go to sporting events, right? I have hats and I have shirts and I have things that I wear, even if I'm not going. Actually, I had lunch with uh, Aaron, and I had uh, a Cubs hat on and a Cubs jersey on, and he was like, you going to the game today? I was like, no. <laughs> like, I'm just wearing the stuff today. Neither should our worship only be confined to a few hours on Sunday mornings. Worship is something that we do with our whole lives. And though we often fall short, Though we often need idols in our lives kicked over, we lean on Christ's sacrifice, on His true worship, that which gives us communion with God and that which brings us eternal life. Let's pray. Father God, we are um, grateful that You have given us life in You, in Christ, that you don't just demand our life, but that you give your life, that you gave Jesus' life so that we can have life in him and in you. Remind us of the worship uh, that we offer. Remind us of the perfect worship that Christ has for us. Allow us to um, be sacrificial in our lives, uh, to be able to um, extend hospitality to others, to be able to love others Lord, um, in the way that you have loved us. Help us to be honest in our need of you and in the need of you in this world and in this place. We pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.